Good morning. My name is Art Alice Green, and we begin this morning with the words you came to know if you grew up in church that you learned a long time ago. These words appear in Scripture perhaps hundreds of times in different settings. Somewhere in your life you've gotten a card with these very words on them or sent someone a card of encouragement, and the words are, trust God. You will discover as time passes how difficult these words are to obey, to truly trust them from your heart, because I have no way of knowing what's going to transpire in your life. You may remain single for a while, learning things like contentment and community, learning about the purpose for your life. Your marriage itself may pass through a tough stretch. Things at work could become very complicated soon for you. Doors could swing open if you're unemployed, or doors could remain shut. You may lose your home in a fire. I was reading a story about a man who inherited a farm from his family, from his father, and he built up the ranch out west, and it seemed as if God was showing him some favor. And then the wildfires came along and took down everything in their path. Um, he only had cattle, so he opened the gate and the cattle ran free. But when he returned to his home, he's allowed to return, he saw that all was burnt, all was gone. And he realized that he was at a crossroads. He said either his faith could kick into action and believe the things he had um, heard all of his life, or he could move far away from God. And he chose in that moment to put his trust in the living God. Somewhere in your journey, You'll be brought back to these verses I'm about to read that, will, um, that I'm about to unpack. Now, I know some of you have memorized these verses, and your lips will move as I say them, but they're found right in the middle of the passage I'm going to do from Proverbs 3, chapter 3, verse 5, which says, Trust in the Lord with all of your heart, and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways... Acknowledge him, and he will make your path straight. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Trust in the Lord in all your ways. We cannot trust somebody we do not know, but God has made himself knowable to us. Now, if somebody said to you, trust me, you could either say, yes, I will trust you, or you could say, why should I trust you? The main reason we trust God is that God himself is trustworthy. We praise God because he is worthy of our adoration. We serve God because God is worthy of our service. And we trust God because God is worthy of our trust. Why? Because God never lies. And God always keeps his promises. And God has the power to deliver that which he promises. And God is always faithful. And the one who puts their hope in God will never be disappointed. And the more we understand about God's grace and his faithfulness and his goodness, the more we can trust him. You see, we have a choice, brothers and sisters. And the choice is this. I can trust myself <laughs> with my own limited wisdom, or I can put my trust in an all-wise, all-knowing, all-powerful gracious, merciful, loving God. Trusting the Lord. 
You know, when you're worrying, you aren't trusting him. And when you're maneuvering, manipulating, you're not trusting him. And when you're trying to control the situation, you're not trusting God. When you're doubting, you're not trusting him. You see, what a way to spend the summer to be trusting the Lord, walking in his ways. You know, when life gets messy, it's natural for us to get stressed out or angry or bitter, especially when life takes a turn we didn't expect, like a broken engagement, the loss of a spouse, a diagnosis with cancer, surgeries we didn't expect. When we find ourselves in a mess, oftentimes what happens is we feel stress. Don't you think that messes and stresses go together? But God, in our stress, will often show us a side of himself we never knew before. God wants us to trust him in the mess with the stress. See, I had surgery about five years ago, and the surgery went about 95% well. But of the 5% that didn't go so well was a doozy. It required more surgery, some big gun antibiotics, hospitalization. And I was not prepared for the stress, and I was not prepared for the mess. But this is what I learned as I learned to trust God, no matter what my future was. That you'll never know that God is all you need until God is all you have. And when God is all you have, then and then alone, will you understand that God is all you need. You know, my situation didn't take God by surprise. Just because it caught me off guard doesn't mean that God himself is clueless. Psalm 139 says that God is familiar with all of our ways. He knows where we've been. He knows what we're doing now. And he knows our future. Now, sometimes we believe we have the best solution to the problem, don't we? And we try to give God suggestions on how to solve these problems of ours, right? And that's what it reminds me of Isaiah 55, which says, Our thoughts are not his thoughts, and his ways are not our ways. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so how much higher are God's thoughts than our thoughts, and his ways than our ways. You see, God can clean up the mess, but we have to trust him with our stress. And every situation we are in offers us an opportunity to trust God. Trust in the Lord with all of your heart and lean not on your understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will direct your paths. So you ask the question, we're in this series now on Proverbs. What is a proverb? Glad you're asking. Okay, here we go. Now we're to our notes, okay? The Proverbs are neither absolute commands nor promises. Now that's good to bear in mind when you consider a proverb like train up a child in the way they should go. For when they are old, they'll not depart from that way. What it's saying is normally, usually, when you train up a child, what happens is they stay on the path of God, right? But that's not always the case. These proverbs are poetic. Today we're going to look at five different couplets from Proverbs 3 that have both a command and a promise to them. They are word pictures of how life usually works. 
there really isn't a category in Western thought quite like the Proverbs. They require thought and reflection to know how to apply them. And sometimes what you have to do with the Proverbs is you have to lay them side by side and then apply wisdom to the situation to see how to apply them. So let me try to illustrate. So, um, Proverbs 26, verse 4 says, Do not answer a fool according to his folly. That seems pretty straightforward, right? If someone is foolish, you don't want to get down on their level and answer them according to their folly, right? If someone is driving foolishly, you don't have to drive foolishly in response to them, right? If someone is speaking foolishly, you don't have to be a fool back to them. So, do not answer, answer not a fool according to his folly. And now, Proverbs 26, 5. Answer a fool according to his folly. Now, it appears as if, doesn't it appear as if? There's a contradiction. One proverb says, answer a fool according to his folly. And the next proverb says, answer not a fool according to his folly, lest he become wise in his own eyes. You see, when a person is open to correction, open to reproof, you're to bring the word of wisdom to them. If the person is not open to that correction, you can might as well keep it to yourself, right? Because you're talking now to a fool. So you say, why are these Proverbs given, Pastor? Proverbs chapter 22, verse 19 says, that your trust may be in the Lord. I have made these Proverbs known to you today. So Solomon, who was the wisest man who ever lived on this earth, was given these Proverbs. And these Proverbs were given to us that we might trust in the Lord. The aim of the Proverbs is for us to trust in God's wisdom, for us to depend upon Him, to trust in the Lord at all times, to trust in the Lord with all of our heart, to trust in the Lord in all of our ways. So let's make the application. Do I answer a fool or do I not answer a fool? Well, I have to trust in the Lord, you see, and ask Him for wisdom to know how to answer. It puts us in a position of trusting Him. That's why the Proverbs says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the Holy One is insight. So the wisdom of God is embedded in these Proverbs. And the fear of God is foundational. You see, all throughout the Old Testament, we understand the wisdom of God. And this is what it says. It says that we are sinners. If we get anything in this world, it is because of God's mercy. We don't deserve anything because we have become separated from Him. All of the sacrifices of the Old Testament were meant to cover over sin but they pointed to the fact that we needed a Redeemer. We needed to be purchased out. See, our covenant-keeping God knew the blood of bulls and goats could not take away our sins. That's why Isaiah predicted that our, our, our transgressions would one day be pierced, that one would be pierced for our transgressions, that one would be crushed for our iniquities, that one would be chastised, and that chastisement 
would bring us peace. And by his stripes we are healed. For all we like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way. Now he's talking here about the foolishness of us all, that we've all turned away from God. When we're foolish, we turn away from God. When we're foolish, we turn to our own ways. Now God is familiar with all of our ways. So what did he do? He laid the iniquity of us all onto him, onto Jesus. So Jesus is our Savior. And he's not only our Savior, but he wants to guide us in the pathway to life. Jesus came to give us life and a more abundant kind of life. Jesus is the foundation of all wisdom. Jesus modeled wisdom to us. Jesus imparted wisdom. So if we want to know wisdom, we have to ask God for that wisdom, and that wisdom is found in Scripture. Proverbs chapter 3. So what happens now in these verses is Solomon's going to tell us something to do, and then he's going to tell us the result if we do it. Okay? There's going to be a benefit and then a command, or command and then a benefit. The command occurs first, and the benefit second. So let's begin with the benefit number one, which is found in verse two. It says, for they will prolong your life many years and bring you prosperity. To be wise means that a person's years will be lengthened. They will live a longer life. God is promising to us a better quality and quantity of life, but only a longer life, but a better life. He says that he will give to you prosperity. The word there is shalom, meaning peace. God wants to give to his children his peace. God wants to give to us a sense of well-being. God wants to pour into our lives a sense of wholeness. Prosperity is having plenty. Prosperity is having more than enough. Prosperity is an abundance. Prosperity is dwelling at peace with your neighbor. Prosperity is having more than enough food on the table. Prosperity is having the capacity to be generous. <laughs> One of the things I'm really hoping for with my little cherry tomatoes is that they are abundant, that I can be generous with my little cherry tomatoes. We had an African staying with us not long ago, and he um, so enjoyed these cherry tomatoes. And so I'm growing cherry tomatoes with the idea that I can give many of them away. So there's the first benefit of wisdom. Well, let's go to the command. He says in verse 1, My son, now notice the term of endearment. This is a father speaking to his son. Do not forget my teaching. I don't want you drifting off in another direction. I don't want you steering onto another path. I want you to not forget my teaching and keep my commands in your heart. You see, what's happening here is a father is intentionally discipling his son. And to you fathers and mothers, I would say to you, what a way to disciple your kids, to open up to them the book of Proverbs. It says here, my son, let these commands be in your heart. Do not forget my teaching. Do not forget the Torah, the law. You see, the book of Proverbs will have some very beautiful word pictures. 
Here's some of them I want to mention to you as we start. One of the Proverbs is, a beautiful woman. Everybody loves a beautiful woman, right? A beautiful woman who lacks discretion. Whoops. She's a beautiful woman who lacks discretion. She makes bad choices. She's like a, it's like a gold ring in a pig's snout. That's one of the Proverbs. A beautiful woman who lacks discretion. She's like a pig wallowing in the dirt with a golden ring in its nose. Another one is a fool who returns to his folly is like a dog that returns to his own vomit. You say, yuck. Well, a fool who keeps on doing foolish things is like a dog that keeps returning to its own vomit. Okay? Here's another one, a proverb. You may recognize this one. It's better to live in the corner of a roof Who knows the rest of that proverb? <laughs> it's better to live in the corner of a roof than with a contentious woman. It says a contentious woman is like the constant drip of water, like water torture, right? Now, we all get that picture, right, of a contentious woman. She just nags him all the time. So it's better to be on the corner. Back, back in that day, they had roofs that you could hang out in the corner of. So it's better to be in the corner of the roof than to be with a contentious woman. That's why he's saying here, keep these commands in your heart. Write them on the tablet of your heart. He's going to speak to his son about things like laziness. That lazy hands make a man poor, but diligent hands bring wealth. What would that say to our on-demand entertainment culture that basically sits on the couch and watches movies and downloads games? Hold these commands in your heart, for they will prolong your life many years and bring you prosperity. You see, there's a path that he's talking here that generally leads to a long life. If you follow this path, it will lengthen your life. It will improve your life. Now, there's no question that we are burying too many of our young people. Heroin is no respecter of persons. It's finding a way into our schools and into our neighborhoods. It, there are many gateway drugs, but many are finding themselves now addicted to heroin. And I just want to say that heroin is evil. A friend of mine buried a 32-year-old man on Friday with a wife and two beautiful kids, child two and a child four, who died of an overdose of heroin. He had been clean for several weeks went back on heroin with some fentanyl in it, and he died. God does not want you subject to any addiction. God wants you to be free. So hold these commands in your heart. Do not forget my teaching, for they will lengthen your life and give to you prosperity. Benefit number two, you see it in verse four. Then you will win favor and a good name. <clears throat> favor and a good name, well, that's something in the sight of God. What is favor? Favor has to do with God's blessing, God's grace, God's goodness being poured out upon someone. To receive the favor of man, the favor of God, could be 
to be thought well of. Do you want to be thought well of? It could be to receive honor. Do you want to receive honor? It could mean that a person receives a promotion or an increase in pay. That could be an expression of favor. Well, how does a person win favor and a good name in the sight of God and man? Look at the command, verse number three. Let love and faithfulness never leave you. Wow. He's saying let love and faithfulness be marks of your life. Let the love of God be so rich and deep inside of you that it pours out of you. Love what you do. Love the people you do it with. Love the people you do it for. Let love be an expression of your life. And then faithfulness. Faithfulness means to consistently do that over and over again, to keep your promises, to do your work with excellence, to add value to your organization. You see, what he's saying here is if we internalize and practice love and faithfulness, if we bind them around our neck, it's speaking here like of a necklace, a public display, that what would be publicly displayed about a person's life would be their love and their faithfulness. And then to write them on the tablet of their heart would speak to the internalization of love and faithfulness. If we internalize and practice love and faithfulness, the Scripture promises us that we will win favor and a good name in the sight of God and man. I just want to say that God wants us to put on a new pair of glasses. Sometimes in life, my sight's not all that great. And so I need something to see with. So I put on my glasses. These are actually Debbie's. The glasses. And now I can't see you at all because they're reading glasses. But they're, they're glasses that I put on to be able to see with, right? And sometimes when it's really bright outside, I've got to put on another pair of glasses, my sunglasses. Pastor Art's turning hip now. So I turn on my, my sunglasses because it's bright outside and I'd be able to see with my glasses because I put on a new pair of glasses. See, what God really wants to do is He wants to give to you wisdom because wisdom is God's spectacles, taking God's perspective. There's man's way and there's God's way. There's our way of doing something and then God's way of doing something. So I want to talk about a, a wise janitor. There was a problem in the middle school, as there sometimes is. Some middle school girls were putting lipstick, were actually taking lipstick to school with them and putting lipstick on their lips and then kissing the mirror. And so <laughs> the janitor of the school came upon this mirror in the girls' bathroom and saw these smudge marks, you know, these kiss marks all over the mirror of these girls kissing the mirror. So he did his job and he cleaned up the mirror. But the next day, the girls brought more lipstick and were kissing on the mirror. And so there was more kiss marks all over the mirror. And so the janitor, you know, cleaned it up. And then the next day, the girls brought lipstick and they were kissing on the mirror. <laughs> I guess the girls wanted to kiss something and they were kissing the mirror. So what happened was the janitor reported this to the principal. 
and said, there's a problem in the middle school girls' bathroom. Every day there's kiss marks on the mirror. And I'd like to ask the girls to come to the bathroom and meet me at a designated hour. So the principal arranged a meeting <laughs> between the middle school girls and the janitor in the girls' bathroom. And he said to them, he said, you know, girls, I, do, I try, to, try to do my job the very best I can. And I, can't, I, I discover that there's been some kiss marks on the, on the mirror. But I found a way to clean them. So he took his long brush and he went into the toilet. And he began to clean the mirror with the toilet water. Never again did the girls kiss the mirror. You see, God gave to the janitor a new set of glasses. He began now to walk in wisdom, a wisdom he didn't have before. And also, God gave to the girls a new kind of wisdom. <laughs> that if we kiss that mirror, we're kissing the toilet water. You see, if there is love and faithfulness on the table of your heart, around your neck, then you will win favor and a good name in the sight of God and of man. The third of these is the benefit that God will make your path straight. It's found in verse 6. He will make your path straight. Now notice it doesn't say he will make your path easy. <laughs> Sometimes the path is difficult and there's obstacles in the path. But what he's saying is that you won't veer off course. Implied is God will keep you on a moral path. You won't be like the train that has gone off its tracks and crashed. You won't be like the ship that is blown by the wind and has become shipwrecked. God will make your path straight. So what is the command? The command is what we've spoken of before. Trust in the Lord with all of your heart. You see, these proverbs are given that we might put our trust in the living God. Wouldn't it be something this week if when we met, found ourselves in that messy, stressful situation, we were not relying on ourselves or on our own wisdom. We were not leaning to our own understanding, but rather we were trusting in the Lord with all of our heart. You know, you'll never figure it all out. <laughs> you'll never be able to understand everything. There's so many things in life that I don't understand. I don't understand a cancer diagnosis at 37 that took the life of Travis. I don't understand pancreatic cancer that took the life of Rhonda. I don't understand so many things. But you know, when I don't understand, I can always put my trust and the one who understands all things. That God has a plan, and that God has a purpose, and that God is good. And I can trust Him with my whole heart, leaning not on my own understanding, but in all my ways, acknowledging Him. I ask the question, why is it that we have so much trouble trusting? Some of us here have some huge trust issues. 
Well, one of the reasons is we learn to be self-sufficient. We have learned to try to get ourselves out of our own jams. Rather than acknowledging God and asking God for His help, we have relied upon ourselves and become self-sufficient. Another of them is that we are so quick to call on friends, and we have some very capable friends. If we have a political problem, we talk to a political friend. If we have a legal problem, we talk to a legal friend. If we have a financial problem, we talk to a financial person. But you'll find that not everybody's counsel is wise counsel. So that's why it says, trust in the Lord with all of your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him and He will direct your path. God, help me to trust in you with all my heart. God, help me to lean upon you and your understanding. God, help me to wait upon you. God, help me to listen to you. God, help me to trust you with all of my heart. Benefit number four, do you see it? Verse eight, they will bring health to your body and nourishment to your bones. Long before we ever studied the connection between body, soul, and spirit, God knew all about it. God knew about the attitudes of the heart. You see, the heart is the place where our attitudes are formed. The heart is the place where our decisions are made. And what he's saying here is that when you apply wisdom to your life, it adds health to your body and nourishment to your bones. Do you know that a merry heart is good medicine? Do you know that's true? That a merry heart is good medicine? Do you want to practice good medicine this week? Work at having a merry heart, a cheerful heart, a glad heart, a thankful heart. A merry heart is excellent medicine. I mean, that is the greatest thing of all, to have a merry heart. Norman Cousins was diagnosed with degenerative disease involving a break breakdown of collagen. The doctors said that he would die in a few months. He checked himself out of the hospital, and he checked himself into his living room, and he began to watch a stream of humorous films, and we called Laughing Matter. In fact, what he did was he OD'd on the Three Stooges. That was his therapy. He said laughter, it said, gave him two hours of pain-free sleep better than morphine ever gave him. He said 10 minutes of belly laughter did something that opioids could never do for him. He said laughter produced a natural um, anesthesia. And what, this is what he came to understand, that unless a patient gets involved in their own cure. The doctor can't cure them. Do you understand what I'm trying to say? Unless the patient gets involved in the cure, the doctor can't cure them. And what it says here is, there is a health to the body and nourishment to the bones if you'll do something. It's found in verse 7. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and shun evil. Whoa. The command is a call to humility, to not be so full of yourself, to not be so proud, right? And this will give health to the body. 
You see, we're not designed to be self-sufficient. We're designed to be reliant upon God. Well, what does it mean to fear the Lord? Wow, now we're at the heart of the book of Proverbs. What does it mean to fear the Lord? You've heard the phrase, right? She's a God-fearing woman. Or you've heard the phrase, he's a God-fearing man. What does it mean to fear the Lord? Right? Well, it doesn't mean to live terrified of God. It doesn't mean to live in dread of God, right? But it's connected with humility. The fear of the Lord brings a man wisdom, and humility comes before honor. The fear of the Lord is to look up to him with great respect. The fear of the Lord is to appreciate God and his wisdom. The fear of the Lord is to walk in his ways and to shun evil. You see, the fear of the Lord is either I'm going to look up to him with respect, but if I fail to look up to him with respect, I better look out for his judgment. That's what the fear of the Lord is. The fear of the Lord, Proverbs 8.13, is to hate evil. I hate pride and arrogance, evil behavior, and perverse speech. Wow. It's saying here, don't be wise in your own eyes. It's a call to humility. And then finally, in verse number 9, it says this. Honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of all your crops. Then your barns will be filled to overflowing, and your vats will flow over with new wine. What is he saying? He's saying, first of all, the benefit is God wants to give you plenty and abundance. Whoa. Our God is a giver, and God wants to give to us more than enough. God is able to make all grace abound towards you, that you having all sufficiency may abound to every good work. A way to translate this would be not only to honor, to, to honor the Lord with our wealth, but from our wealth to give God honor. A man is, there's a story told about a guy, and he had, two, he had a, a cow, and the cow had two calves. And so he said to the pastor, he said, you know, pastor, I'm going to give to the Lord a calf, but I'm going to keep one calf for my family, one calf for the Lord and one calf for my family. And then one of the calves died. And he came back to the pastor and he said, I'm sorry to tell you, the Lord's calf died. <laughs> Little joke. So, so what happens is, so many times is, we think about giving to be about giving to the Lord what's left over. This is saying to us, we need to honor the Lord with our wealth, with the first fruits of all your crops. You know, you're never going to have enough. You're never going to have enough money. If you think you're going to have enough money by basically keeping your money, you're never going to have enough money. But here's the amazing thing about God. When you honor the Lord with your wealth, he supplies more than enough. He says, your barns will be filled to overflowing and your vats will brim over with new wine. If the Lord is our source, we want to honor the Lord with our wealth, with the first fruits of our labor. You see, it all goes back to what he says 
Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding, but in all your ways acknowledge Him and He is going to direct your paths. You see, what God really wants to do is He wants to pour His wisdom into your life and He wants you to live in a way that is wise. And he wants you to impart wisdom to your children, to your grandchildren, that they may know the ways of wisdom. A father was um, taking care of his kids one day. His wife was expected home soon. And his, he realized he needed to clean up the house. The house was in some major disarray. So he said to the girls, he said, you know what we need to do is we need to pick up the stuff in the house. So one of the little girls, she was seven years old, she decided to pick up all of her doll babies and put them into her shopping cart. And so she began to push her shopping cart toward the stairs. But when she got to the stairs, all the, all the doll babies fell out of the shopping cart and she began to cry hysterically. The father said, what's the matter? She said, well, I tried to get the, get the shopping cart up the stairs, but it didn't go. And I spilled out all my doll babies. And he said, you know what? That's what two-year-olds do. But you're a seven-year-old. And seven-year-olds can be given wisdom. Now, if you'll think about this and ask God for his wisdom, maybe he'll give you some wisdom on what to do. And five minutes later, she came back, and this is what she did. She said, Dad, I've been thinking about this, and I'm going to carry each one of my doll babies upstairs one by one. See, what happened was she stepped into wisdom. And can you imagine when your children begin to step into wisdom? They begin to apply the wisdom of God to their lives. They begin to handle money wisely. They begin raising their children wisely. They be making wise choices. So this series is all about stepping into the wisdom of God. God wants to give us wisdom. But we have to be humble enough to receive the wisdom from Him, both the wisdom and the courage to begin to implement that wisdom in our lives. Would you pray with me? Father, here we are, and we're asking you, Lord, humbly to give us wisdom. There's a situation we face. There's a problem we're dealing with. There's something in our kids' lives, our parents' life, somebody's life that has got us perplexed. We are confused and we don't understand. But we know that you give us wisdom. So we're going to ask you, Father, for a generous, lavish amount of wisdom, a wisdom to navigate this part of our life, a wisdom to make a decision, a wisdom pertaining to a school to attend, a wisdom concerning a career choice. Father, we do need your wisdom. So, Father, we just humbly ask it for it in the precious name of Jesus. We ask you, Father, for you to pour out your wisdom to your people. And as we open this book of Proverbs together, and week by week, Father, we hear your voice speaking to us. Help us to walk in your ways and become familiar with all your ways, departing from foolishness and stepping into wisdom. God, this is our prayer. 
we pray. In the name of Jesus.